Let's get going here with uh, Job, talking about Job today. So we did Psalms the last two days. Um, and now we're going to get jump into the wisdom literature today. So before we jump into Job, uh, as I've talked about, um, and I, I would encourage you, if you're not signed up on the app, I would encourage you to sign up on the app. There's a couple extra resources there. One of them is the Order of the Hebrew Bible. There's a, um, uh, a, an article there written by uh, Greg Goswell, a scholar. talks about the order of uh, the Hebrew Bible. We're studying the Hebrew Bible ordering here uh, because this was the order uh, that was studied at the time of Christ. We saw in Luke 24, resurrected Jesus uh, going through what was the Old Testament Right at the time, there wasn't an old and a new back then, but he's going through uh, the Hebrew Bible with the disciples there in Luke 24, and he mentions the order that was commonly used at the time, which is um, the Hebrew Bible order that we're doing now. Now, there is some question when we get to these uh, wisdom books, there's some question as to which order it was. So, again, uh, Jesus refers to Moses, the prophets, the Psalms. That was the common order. Um, Wisdom of Ben Sirach is an intertestamental uh, um, document that references this order. It's the common order at the time. But we don't know within the writings how these particular books were ordered because there seems to be a couple of different ways. Um, so there's a common order now in... Um, the rabbinic, Judaist, uh, rabbinic Judaism uh, that has, after Psalms, of course they all start with Psalms, but after Psalms goes Proverbs, Job, Song of Psalm, Solomon, uh, Ruth, Lamentations, Ecclesiastes, Esther. Uh, there's a, uh, what we're doing here, what we're studying here is based on the Leningrad Codex, which was discovered um, around 81. 1008 or it's it's dates from it AD 1000 uh, and that is Psalms then Job Proverbs Ruth Song of Sol Solomon uh, Ecclesiastes Lamentations Esther so just a little bit different order we don't really know which one was the right one doesn't really matter because we're still talking about wisdom literature um, and in, in both uh, orderings, or in all the kind of common orderings that are associated at the time, or believed to be the right ones at the time, the different options, they all start with Psalms. Of course, Jesus mentioned Psalms in Luke 24. And then they end with Daniel, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Chronicles. So uh, what you can kind of think about, I've probably talked about this before, is... When you think about the Hebrew Bible, you've got uh, the Pentateuch, and then this kind of uh, prophetic history, right? Joshua, Judges, Samuel, Kings, which brings you to uh, the Babylonian exile, right? The end of the nation as they knew it at the time. Then you've got this large poetic interlude, right? All the major prophets, the minor prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, then the minor prophets, and now we're kind of into this more poetic wisdom literature. Um, again, it's a poetic interlude, right? There's no prose. We're not 
continuing the narrative story when we study these there's some narrative in Isaiah and things but for the most part it's a large you know break from the narrative right end of kings now we've got this large break of lots of poetry lots of wisdom language we just went through 150 psalms right um, so this again you can think of this as kind of a poetic interlude and then after the wisdom literature, we're going to get back into the narrative again because it's going to pick back up with Daniel, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Chronicles. So um, Chronicles is kind of a review of all of Israel's history. Um, so we're going to pick that up again, but right now we're still in this kind of poetic interlude. Uh, and that's really what's important. So I'm just kind of guessing on what the order is here within the wisdom books. Um, but this is, this is the way uh, we're going to study it. So we're doing Job next, um, and we'll talk about, talk about wisdom literature at the end because that's going to be the next several weeks. We're going to be talking about a lot of these uh, kind of books that are uh, kind of considered wisdom, uh, you know, almost always recognized as canonical. Um, the one that took, took some time was Esther, right? So we'll get there as we, um, some of the... Uh, some of the lists that you see around the intertestamental period sometimes didn't didn't mention Esther, um, but uh, you'll see eventually that it, it um, the Council of Jamni and other places that it was recognized as authoritative as well. But um, so let's see here. Uh, let's talk about Job. Um, uh, authorship of Job unknown. The the name Job means. Um, Persecuted one, which makes sense, right? Um, so, uh, as far as the dating and authorship and all this, this is one of those more difficult uh, ones to figure out. Um, let's see if I've got um, some notes here about it. Uh, Job, Job, Job. Of course, I can't remember. English Bible, so yeah, I mean, you know, different uh, speculation on a on uh, the age of the book, the um, you know, because it, it's anonymous, right? It doesn't say who the author is within the work itself. Uh, the time of the composition is difficult. Um, I've got. Uh, somebody most likely around 1000 BC. Um, a lot of that is just speculation on the, the, the nature of the language. Um, now the story itself probably takes place very early and that's just because of um, you know some of the things that are mentioned in it like it seems to be kind of talking about dinosaurs at one point and so it's you know there's some interesting things there. Um, at the end of the day, we don't know who the author is, and we don't know when it was written. So that's the best I can do. <laughs> yeah. Isn't the second century BC? Isn't that like the intertestamental period? You might have been second millennium BC. What do I say? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. Um, second millennia BC. Yeah. No. Thank you for correcting that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Second millennia BC. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I'm, I'm thinking, you know, before Moses' time, you know, maybe time of Abraham. Um, 
I, I think ultimately, um, and you'll hear me talk about this a lot, this, these kind of questions are good just to uh, ground yourself kind of for an, a, base, a basic encyclopedia of knowledge. But this is also evidence A of why ultimately these questions don't really matter that much. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of people will tell you that they do, that you can't understand the authorial intent unless you know these things, but then what do you say about this kind of book, right? Mm -hmm. No one knows. <laughs> we just don't know. We don't know who the author was. We don't know when it was written. Uh, there's a certain kind of, we have to be okay with that at some point, right? Um, so good questions to ask at the beginning before we jump in, but again, the nature of the text is very theological. Um, and actually, you don't have to know uh, when it was written. You don't have to know even the time setting of when it was to really understand the theological point of it. And that's what we'll see as we jump in, okay? All right, that's a little soapbox, free charge. All right, uh, yeah. And, and it's, I guess, is there anything in it that tells you that he is a Hebrew or is, he's, no. nothing. It, it could have just been some. Yeah, and that's a, a lot of speculation is because there doesn't seem to be anything specific to the Mosaic Law or anything like that, that maybe this is even before that, right? Um, just a, similar to Abraham, he knows God. Yeah. He's obedient to God. He's, you know, God puts it forward as this, you know, example. But yeah, we don't. Doesn't seem to be anything specific yeah. to 1400 BC time period. Yeah, I've heard he's like a contemporary of Abraham. Yeah, yeah, and that's a. I think that's a good, good guess for sure. Yeah. Okay, let's jump in. Uh, Job one and two. Um, so. Uh, a man named Job is introduced as a man of great character. So right in the beginning of this wisdom literature, we've got this example of a wise man. Uh, so he's introduced as a man of great character, quote, fearing God and turning away from evil. Uh, Psalm 111.10, we just saw the foundation of wisdom is the fear of God. So now we've got an example of that. Uh, he has a large family and many possessions. Job continually makes sacrifices to God, even on account of his sons. Account of his sons is the blank there. Uh, the angels and Satan approach God, and God asks where Satan has come from. He tells God that he has come from roaming the earth. Uh, God presents Job as someone who fears God. Satan says that if Job is cursed instead of blessed that he will curse God. Uh, God grants Satan permission uh, to disrupt Job's life. So this is one of those uh, kind of interesting rhetorical tools by the author because you know the, the reader knows this, but Job doesn't, right? So um, the reader knows that, that God is allowing Satan to do this. Job doesn't know that that's what's happening. Um, yeah, disrupt, in a very harsh way, disrupt. Um, prohibiting him from harming Job himself. Well, killing him, isn't that? Yeah. Because he does harm har him. He yeah. Har yeah. Well, harming him physically. He can't touch his body, right? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Pretty Uh Many things begin to happen to Job's family and possessions. 
his flocks and servants are destroyed by groups of people and fire from the sky, and his family is killed by a great wind. Uh, Job responds by blessing God. The author notes that, quote, through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. So again, he's presented as the example of this man of great character, and here's what he does when he's tested. So that's, that's the initial example given here. Uh, Satan again approaches God, and God tells him that Job has held fast his integrity. So I think that we can already see a theme building here for the book. And I think we'll see it again and again. Is it true wisdom is its own reward? Job is the example of that. True wisdom is its own reward. God knows that. Job is an example of it. Uh, Satan says that Job will curse God if Job gets sick. God allows it, and Job receives boils all over his body. When his wife encourages him to curse God, he says, quote, Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? Uh, other figures in the canon have shown a similar attitude towards life's hardships. <coughs> Got some references there, including, of course, Joseph from Genesis 50, one of my favorite characters. Um, there are also examples of God testing individuals and groups, including the testing of Abraham, Genesis 22, that's with his son Isaac, the testing of Israel in Exodus. Uh, Job's three friends... Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar all come to him to visit him, sitting with him for seven days. So again, we, we already have a pretty significant truth here that we're given, and that's um, you know, that we can apply to our lives. Sometimes God allows suffering and evil to enter our lives as a means to test us. We should have the same attitude that Job initially does, and accept both good and adversity from God. Can I get a volunteer actually to read um, chapter 2 verses 6 through 10 out loud? Mm -hmm. Can I see um, that a little more? Thing yeah. I think that these verses also bring out is that, that Satan is allowed great power. Mm -hmm. uh, he does some significant things here that you think, God, only God can do something like that. But yeah. Satan's allowed to do these things. Yes. So, yes. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't want to be Right. I wouldn't want to be the recipient of that. Yeah. Right. And Absolutely. I guess also we can't we can't uh, defend ourselves against Satan. We can't go up against him. We don't we don't have it. Yeah, um, I mean based on this example. Yeah. yeah. Job had there was no way he could defend himself against all this that's happening, this happening all around him. Yeah. He had no control whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I think <clears throat> I mean, we need to be careful about projecting um, propositional statements based on descriptive uh, you know, texts, right? So this happened once. Right. Does that mean that that's always the case? I think combining with the rest of Scripture, I would agree with you on uh, when it comes to things like physical uh, harm that is done to us. Um, I do think although we won't necessarily see the example of it in all of the book, I do think we are not powerless completely to defend ourselves against Satan spiritually. Right, I think right. that's a, spiritually, yeah, correct. I think that's yes. a bigger, yes. yeah. But I, again, 
Uh, we can't necessarily have a full doctrine of this just from these two chapters. But, yeah, but yeah, no, uh, certainly very <laughs> good points from the text for sure. Yeah. Is, was it a tradition to curse a god if they if like you did not get what you wanted from them? Uh, yeah, I mean, well, I think we can see in some of these Nakamani, some of these other um, ancient Near Eastern texts, there seems to be some of that. Mm -hmm. So that's maybe what's going on with the, the I don't know. Huh. I mean, um, it just seems weird that the wife would be like, all right, curse it. Like, I don't know. That's just. Yeah. Well, I mean, why go there? Uh, my guess is that they've already seen evidence that he exists, so she's not questioning whether he exists at this point, um, but she is questioning why this is happening and cursing God. So, um, but again, why? Why I think um, these are theological texts is this is a common response that we all have when we think about things that happen in our lives. We, I mean, my immediate reaction is to blame God. That I happens. get that. I don't yeah. get encouraging someone else to do it. That's oh. what I'm weirded out by. It's like if yeah. it was a tradition where it's like, oh, then maybe that would make more mm -hmm. sense why she was like pushing him to do it. Yeah. But if if it's someone dealing with something, I'm not sure why well, I would be like, you should do this. It's affecting her too, right? right. Yeah. Right. Maybe yeah. Satan's yeah. just yeah. Mm -hmm. getting down. Yeah. She yeah. also kind of implies if he does it, God will strike him dead and it'll be over. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So again, she's not been, doesn't seem to be denying that God has power. Right. She's just basically saying, let's just get this over with. Yeah, right. <clears throat> All right, could I get a volunteer to read uh, 6 through 10? Second chapter. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand. I only spared his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with blow from sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrap himself while he sat in the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Yeah. So, a uh, great example here for us. Um, let me open it up to some uh, comments here. What, what is your attitude towards suffering? Do you, how do you view the things God allows in your life? How do you accept these things and still worship God? Any thoughts here? Application to our, kind of, we've already gotten into it a little bit here, but any, any other thoughts here on applying the example of Job here to our lives? Yeah. Just kind of a common discussion with some people I know is I don't have any of these harsh things. You know, I haven't, I live in Missouri. No hurricane has hit me. I've yeah. been around tornadoes, but generally I'm unscathed. It's the low level grind mm -hmm. that is the thing that I feel and that uh, when I talk to people, they feel. Mm -hmm. It's not this lightning bolt hits anything. It's just the grind of mm -hmm. things wearing on you, mm -hmm. you know, low-level kind of sicknesses. It's like, you know, this loft cough, and you just go, yeah, you just go, can I just get sick and get it over with instead of this six weeks of whatever Rich said he's going to have, and, you know, and it's just a low grind yeah. all the time. Yeah, yeah. 
that's the challenge. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think even in like I, I was actually thinking almost the same thing, except <laughs> even having larger things that are hard. It's having something that's really really difficult that happens that just really hurts a lot. Almost at least for me in those moments seems to draw me closer to the Lord for a time. Mm -hmm. But then when I get out of that walking out of that suffering into a new suffering, that's when it starts to get really hard. It's like, all right, is it ever going to end? Yeah. It will. <laughs> <laughs> sure, yeah. I think when we're all in a situation like this, we're looking for ways to really be able to trust God through them. And I had a friend of mine the other day, who I respect, um, who told me that he believes that God created evil. And he actually gave me a, a verse in the Bible that says, uh, and this is just one translation of it, it's Isaiah 45, 7, I form the light and create darkness, I make peace and create evil. And the other translations I went to said, I, I create calamity. And, uh, and the other one I can't remember, but it wasn't evil, it was something similar to calamity. And you up here say he Isaiah 45 in context is a prophecy about um, using Cyrus, the Persian king, as God's instrument um, to bring calamity to the earth and to bring God's judgment to Israel and then his return. So the in context, it's all about God's sovereignty. Um, so I think we can combine that with something like Job, take the entirety of scripture and um, yeah, we, we definitely don't have time to get into the no, full, full explanation, but that, that's how I would deal with that particular thing. And then, um, uh, you know, who writes the, the I think the best um, philosopher, evangelical philosopher is Alvin Plantica. And he writes a lot on the existence of evil and God questions mm -hmm. um, and I've read a book by him which specifically addresses that question it is fantastic and I cannot remember what the name of the book is but you, you'll be able to find it if you find that Alvin Plantica I think he's still uh, at Notre Dame he's an evangelical um, philosopher but he's I think he's at Notre Dame so um, anyway that's if hopefully that's helpful I can just look back and remember a time in my life <clears throat> when I it was at a different church that I actually went to my pastor and like did it, it, we got to the point where we didn't want to answer the phone because there was just so much going on around us um, within our with our extended family <clears throat> and to the point of asking is he mad at me is God mad at me did I yeah. do something wrong yeah. you know but even as I say that now and as that sense I make it about me yeah. you know and yeah. we talked about this but sometimes what we're going through isn't about, it's not about Job, it isn't about me. It's, you know, so my response, you know, at the time would be like, whatever I'm doing wrong, I'm sorry, can, can you help me get me get me right focused? Or, you know, that kind of thing. But it's not always that way. You know, I, I don't know that I ever blamed God during that time. It was just sad, it was just hurtful, you know, and 
um, trying to do things on my own accord instead of just focusing more on him like I should. And I think, one, it shows being in God's word how important that is so that we have that character that flows from us automatically. And then also who your friends are, you know, and having that support system of the church and stuff that makes a huge difference. But I I truly would think the poor guy would be asking him, what did I do? Where did I, what happened? Right. You know? So, um, again, I just think sometimes we make it about ourselves and and it isn't. So, no, I've done that for sure. That's a very good yeah. point, Jenna. It makes me think of our sermon this morning. Yeah, because that is the whole point is the Lord. Sure. Yeah, but but do I see that all the time in it? You know, it's yeah. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to. Yeah, no, all right. Go ahead. Um, so God created these angels, and um, as angels started to rebel, then um, the evil um started existing, and evil existed. Yeah, it does serve as a tool at times for God. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. You know, it's hard not to ask the question, what did I do? But the better question would be is, God, what do you want to do yeah. with me yeah. and through these situations? Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I say that's, that's turning the trust over to him instead of me trying to solve this problem. Yeah. Like, hey, God, you brought it on, or you allowed it. So show me, you know, reveal to me. How you want to glorify yourself through me? Yeah. That's right. That's great. About Making it about him instead of myself. Yes. Yeah. Not easy, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so let's see. Let's keep going here. Job uh, three through ten. So Job laments his situation uh, before God, uh, cursing the day he was born. He asks why he could not have died at birth, or at least before his suffering began. He laments his current lack of peace, saying, I'm not at rest, but turmoil comes. <coughs> okay, and so now we get the brilliance of his friends. I say that sarcastically. Uh, Eliphaz begins uh, a speech by criticizing Job for not teaching himself when he has taught others. He claims that the innocent never suffer. Saying, quote, where were the upright being destroyed? Eliphaz appeals to his experience and even to commonly used words of wisdom. He says that this is a problem between God and and Job, that he is receiving his just punishment. So for Eliphaz, this is evidence of divine retribution. This was pretty common, like, to believe even during the time of Jesus, right? I mean, that's why in yep. Isaiah 53 it says they considered him uplifted and stricken by God. It's like they looked at his situation and said, this man is uplifted Yeah, and by God. I mean, I think a, a better example of that is is that um, the, the blind man at the pool. Blind man, yeah. Yeah. What, what did he do or his parents do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I'm not at rest, but turmoil comes. Turmoil comes. Mm-hmm. And about that that point, I think it's easy for us to 
to even come to the same conclusion as his friends do mm-hmm. if we don't if we don't have a complete view of scripture. Like yes. maybe we're just looking at the Proverbs. <coughs> yep. That that would be the conclusion yep. we come to. That well, you must have done something wrong. Yep. But yeah, I, I think I think you'll often see some of the stuff that Eliphaz is saying is just wrong. But you'll say you'll see some of these, some of what the friends say, is proper theology mm-hmm. at times, but it's not applied correctly mm-hmm. uh, to Job's situation. We'll see that as we keep going here. Yeah, it also um, discounts all the people, all his kids. You know, oh, yeah. they must have been really evil because they actually got killed. Yeah, right. Yeah, you just right. sort of a. What is Calvin? Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> it's, got, it's got to be the most Sorry. evil family. Yeah. They all got wiped out. Yeah. Go, uh. Okay, so he even tells Job, <clears throat> quote, do not despise the discipline of the Almighty. So he calls it discipline. Uh, Job, seemingly unconvinced, again wishes for death. He again asks why he should suffer. Job questions the purpose of life and asks why he has become a target of God. I think that's interesting that he does question why. It's yeah. not that he's not he's not yeah. giving up on God, but he does question. Yeah, yeah. At this, I mean, there's a question here at this point of how biblical is he being with his response, right? Mm-hmm. There's I mean, lament. I, we have examples of lament in the Psalms. Uh, I don't think lament in itself is sinful, certainly, but um, there seems to be some. Yeah, there. Yeah, it, he's at least gotten off the path a little bit here in his uh, understanding. Is that the reason why in previous page he said we have should have the same attitude that Job initially has? Yeah, asked? yeah, okay. yeah. Right. That's that's my take on it. Is that he's initially presented as this is exactly the response you should have. Mm-hmm. Now that he's talking to his friends. He's kind of he's kind of wavering a little bit. So, uh, so Job questions the purpose of life and asks why he's become a target of God saying, quote, you will never turn your gaze away from me. Uh, then here, ch- starting in chapter 8, we've got Bildad. Bildad weighs in on the discussion, claiming that God does not pervert justice. He so, says that Job's children died in their sin, but that Job can still repent. Bildad elaborates, saying that every effect has a sinful cause. So he's convinced that Job ought to find, you know, examine his life, find the sin. Uh, Job responds by questioning God, saying that he is impossible to dispute with. Quote, if I called and answered, if if I called and he answered me, I could not believe that he was listening to my voice. He also says, quote, he is not a man that I am, that I may answer him, that we may go to court together. Job continues in his despair, saying, quote, hardship after hardship is with me. At this point, he considers death better than life. Uh, So, possible significance here for us. Job lamented and challenged God in his fairness because he knows he did not sin to deserve the suffering he was enduring. However, he did not see the bigger picture that God wants us to see that he is always worth serving in good times and bad. Uh, this is in, this, in fact, does make him fair and loving. Um, do you consider God fair by the world's standards of fairness? Do you consider God fair by his own standards? So we're supposed to draw the distinction there in those two questions. 
Why is it so difficult to trust in God's ways when times are rough? Any thoughts here? Yeah. I, I think one of the central themes of Job when you, when you sort everything out is it's just that, uh, yeah, this world that God has created is, is glorious on the one hand, and yet uh, it's a mistake to latch on to anything in this world and say, oh, I've got to have, this is something I've got to, I really got to have this, because there's nothing in this world that we can take with us. And, uh, and any of us could go through what Job went through, possibly. We all not like that, but, right. Right. but at the end of the day, there's nothing in this world our, our salvation is not of this world. I guess nobody complains to God when you're having good things. We only complain to God when you're having bad things. But the reality is, I think if there's only one uh, verse that I, I really appreciate is when David says, "What is God that you? What is man that you are mindful of him?" Because I mean, ultimately, we all deserve death and yes. and everything. I mean, I think we should be thankful that God is not allowing us those things. I think. When he says, in this world there will be trouble, I mean, I, we haven't, just like what John was said, we haven't seen that trouble here in Missouri. I mean, where we come from, we have 19 to 20 typhoons every year, volcanoes, earthquakes, Richter scale of eight. Man, I mean, in, in our Sunday school, there was a big typhoon that just happened. The men kept asking, is it God's will that 8,000 people perish in the typhoon? I mean, we, we haven't had that. And so, I think the, the your word is the attitude yeah. is, is a different outlook that we have. Yeah. Uh, I agree with all of those comments. I'm not. I don't have anything further to say about that. But I actually <clears throat> thought it was really interesting that he says, "Will you never turn your gaze away from me?" Because in Psalms we see like time and time again, um, you know, please don't hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. Like, oh Lord, how long will you forget me forever? Like, all of the psalmists are looking at it as God has abandoned them, but he's saying, like, God, you are staring me down and, yeah. like, will not leave me alone. Yeah. And I think it's just interesting that the authorship that he attributes to his circumstance, whereas, like, the psalmist would say that the authorship is more, or, like, the creator of their circumstance is more the evil around them, yeah. and God is looking on them or won't look on them in, that, in the midst of that. Yeah. Job's looking at God and saying, you are the creator of my circumstance. Yeah. Yeah, but I think potentially both are true, kind yeah. of, right? Uh, but yeah, that's an interesting distinction. Well, that was just my thought, just tying it back to the Psalms. Like David, he, he despaired. He, he became yeah. depressed. His, yeah. his bones ached inside of him, you know? Yeah. And, and it's not it's not an unnatural response that Job would despair. That's who we are. God made us right. the way we are and, right. and to become depressed or whatever. But, you know, David did things wrong and David didn't do things wrong, but David was still known as a man after God's own heart. Yes. And so I think that is, it's that he never took his eyes off of God. And that's, even Job may have faltered, but he didn't take his eyes off God. And yeah. So I yeah. just tie that back see to that the Psalms and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think that's yeah. really, yep. that's cool. Yep, sure. I mean, relative to the fair, I mean, relative to the world, God's not fair because. <laughs> You see him in the Old Testament, he wipes out whole groups of people. Right. And you just go, what about the people, the little right. kids? And right. 
you know, and I've always been struck that David had that time when he took the rod and wipes out the Moabites, you know. Take those, leave those. Take those, leave those. And you just go, you know. And But then the second standard, he's not fair by his own standards because in the end, he should, fairness, he should, like was said, we should all be done. Yeah. I mean, I mean, he's, yeah. his grace just kind of wipes out that fair. Yeah, you know? that's right. Yeah. That's right. I mean, that's a kind of a good fair as yeah. opposed to the real right. fair, right. which is... Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Oh, you're right. Yeah. More than fair. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Grace upon grace. Steve, do you have something? Just pretty much the same thing. God is definitely not fair by the world's standards, yeah. but he's, he's also not fair by his own because it says, uh, for God so loved the world. He, his love goes, you know, cancels out the fair. He can't, can't come to grips with uh, condemning everyone in hell. <laughs> that he created he just can't so he has to be unfair on that yeah. too it's the same yeah. thing yeah. that's good um, it's somehow I, I I think about Noah you know because mm -hmm. Noah and Job <coughs> God wiped out all of the people from the earth but same to Noah and his family and here this is Job they have probably similar characters Yes. I think, mm -hmm. and but he took away Job's everything. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. So we cannot really just comprehend God by single event, yeah. 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 unless He revealed us His purpose. Yeah. But yeah. then look what He did in Daniel. So you're asking, is God fair? But what are we counting fair by? Mm -hmm. It's it's all that all this stuff in the world. Uh, including children and, and cattle and whatever, that uh, do we have it or, or what's it taken away from us or whatever? But it's all it's all just with the birth. Yeah, it's all. Yeah. That's right. Well, I'm just thinking about you know it's like in the world you shall have persecution, but in you know I've overcome the world, and it's like in the end look what what Job gets, look what Job does, but look in the end what God does, yeah. you know. Right. Like, yeah, no worries. All right, let's let's keep going here. Uh, eleven through fourteen. Uh, sorry, eleven through nineteen. Uh, Zophar rebukes Job. This is the third friend. He rebukes Job and wishes God would do the same. He asks, "Quote: Can you discover the depths of God?" He tells Job that he should repent. And then, quote, you could lift up your face without moral defect. Job rejects the advice of his friends, acknowledging that true wisdom rests with God. He's the one who reveals mysteries from the darkness. Genesis, I think the main theme, true wisdom rests with God. Um, he's the one that reveals mysteries from the darkness. He reiterates that he wants to argue with God and that his friend's wisdom is useless. He continues his faith in God, quote, though he slay me, I hope in him. He tells God that he wants to reestablish their relationship. Job then expounds on the finality of death and the authority of God. Uh, then starting there in chapter 15, Eliphaz again 
Eliphaz then rebukes Job, saying he presumes too much about God and his situation. What great friends these guys are. Uh, he says that he hinders, quote, meditation before God. Uh, he again appeals to wisdom, appeals to wisdom to support his case against Job. So really, this wisdom, though, is the wisdom of men, right? He's pitting the wisdom of men against the wisdom of God here. Uh, he elaborates, that's the blank there, he elaborates on what he knows about God. Job says that God has shattered him and that, quote, his anger has torn me and hunted me down. At the same time, he believes God is in his court, saying, quote, even now, behold, my witness is in heaven. Job focuses on his suffering and his grief, speaking as if death is near. Bildad chimes in again, rebuking Job. It's the blank there, rebuking Job. He claims that Job has lost his children because of his own sin. Job asks for pity, first looking to his friends. Um, he senses he won't get any pity from them, so then to God. He looks for pity from God. Uh, he follows this up by saying, quote, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will take his stand on the earth. God has been described as a Redeemer at other times. Uh, Job believes that he will see his God after he dies. Uh, again, so we've seen some, we saw a little bit in Psalms, we're seeing a little bit about the afterlife here. Can you get into the prophets and the writings there's a little bit more about the idea of heaven it's just not in the Pentateuch but it is in some of these instances um, alright Job 20 through 31 Mark, before you yeah. go, do you think he was just misunderstanding God here when he said he was angry um, because I don't, I don't sense it God His anger has torn me and hunted me down. Hmm. And I don't know if Joe just had the wrong yeah. perspective based on what he was going through. The pressure got to him a little bit. But, you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, this wasn't God's anger, I guess, as well. Right. I agree. Yeah. I think it's probably a little bit of misunderstanding. Um, I think, you know, there's this feeling, I think, that even if he's acknowledging that some of this is anger from God, that he's he's okay because God's still on his side, right? Um, but yeah, that's a good question. Well, yeah, just psychologically either. Right. You know, right. Absolutely. Okay, uh, Job 20 through 31. Uh, Job's friends continue with their speeches, accusing Job of sin. That's the blank there, Job of sin. Um, Zophar says that the wicked do not prosper for long, as eventually, quote, God will send his fierce anger on him. Uh, so we as the reader, again, we know more than the characters, right? So I, I don't want to be too harsh about these guys, but, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, we, we know it's a test. They don't necessarily know that. Um, he implies that Job is one of the wicked, so far does, receiving his just punishment. Job sharp, sharply disputes Zophar's claims. 
saying that the wicked do not always suffer. Eliphaz exhorts Job, suggesting that it is not Job's righteousness that is brought on God's wrath, but, quote, is not your wickedness great and your iniquities without end, end quote. However, according to Eliphaz, Job may still repent. This is again what this is what Zophar was trying to do um, to get him to do previously. Quote, you'll pray to him and you will hear he will hear you and you will pay your vows. And honestly, this is a great example of the theology itself is not bad, but it does not apply here in this particular situation. Is is Job sinful? Yes. Uh, does he need to repent to God in general? Yes, but this particular situation is not a result of that. So it's not necessarily poor theology, but it's misapplied in this situation. Yeah, I was thinking that there is there are elements of these friends that I kind of I think are great. Like yeah. I would want my friends if they see me in sin to rebuke me yes. to exhort me. And I feel like in our society today, people are so nervous about hurting people or offending that they don't do that even when yeah. they see them in sin. Yeah. And so like the boldness I appreciate, but the boldness based on presumption I don't. But they never do identify what his sin is, right? right? They're just making right. these assumptions. One of them, I think Bill Dad just says like, you need to examine your heart. It's obviously sin. You need, you need, you're the only one that knows. You but that's kind of a cool comedy maybe where he goes, look around, the, the wicked don't always suffer, right? Yes. This yeah. is the theme in the Bible is why do the wicked prosper, right? Right. So that's kind of a problems. silly argument, like, right? Because you can just see it. <laughs> yeah, right. It's just yeah. they're grabbing for straws. They got, yep. they're, they're supposed to be uh, super intellectual, and yeah. so they're trying to find some. Yep, that's right. It's just even start like that they show up at a certain level. Yeah. How's he done? Yeah. 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 Um, it's almost like they're assuming that they're, you've got something deep, dark, hidden sin that you're not, you know, yeah. because he's presented, introduced as a man of great character. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in character, I've heard is, you know, the way you behave in private matches the way you behave in public, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I it just, I, I've always known that they were, they're kind of like, you, you know, there's sin, but it's deep, and you gotta, you gotta figure it out and search your heart. But mm-hmm. it just, it's very presumptuous on that yeah, point. It is. Well, they sit with him for seven days. It's like I've, I've, I'm, I'm just thinking of myself when I'm thinking when somebody's going through a hard time. I sometimes have a hard time knowing what to say. Sometimes after a while, I'll shut up. Just sit there with them and be yeah, with them. Right. And right. Stop yeah. Sometimes talking. that's the most helpful. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, yeah. Yeah, she, he was pointing to you. <laughs> um, so this is just a little bit of speculation that I've heard, but I found it interesting to do with Job, mm-hmm. that there's a theory that he may have been a king of the land, and that these, these men were not only his friends, but his advisors, the, the nobles of the land, and that when the king was struck with this great calamity, it hurt the entire kingdom, yeah. and they basically wanted him to take the fall. Yeah. They're like, just admit that you did something wrong so we can move on. Yeah, right, right. That definitely seems to be a theme here, for sure, uh, even if we don't know the details about the, yeah, about those things. Yeah, no, it's good. All right, uh, Job responds by longing for God and his answers. But he is unable to find them. 
stating that, quote, God does not pay attention to folly and seemingly ignores wrongs in the world. Uh, he is seeking God. That's the blank there. He's seeking God, but is still accusing him, challenging his ways and his fairness. Um, again, he's, he knows it is not his sin that has brought this particular, these calamities on, but he seems at this point to be attributing some of this injustice to God. Um, so then uh, 25, chapter 25, Bildad chimes in saying man is inferior to God because of God's greatness. Quote, how then can a man be just with God? Job rebukes him, but he also speaks of the greatness of God. Yet Job refuses to acknowledge sin that he has not committed. Quote, I hold fast my righteousness and will not let it go. My heart does not reproach any of my days. He then continues a discourse on the godless, saying they will get their just inheritance from the Lord. Job maintains that he is not one of the wicked and has, in fact, kept his integrity. Um you know, Bildad's comment too, how then can a man be just with God? I, I think that's another good example. Theologically, that's correct. Mm -hmm. Not really applicable to, not applicable at all to Job's particular situation here. Again, misplaced theology. Uh, 28, Job elaborates about the treasures of earth, claiming he has applied God's natural revelation to his situation to find wisdom. He states firmly that wisdom and understanding come from God. Wisdom from God is its own reward. Again, that's, that's the main theme. I think another big theme as we've seen here is um, uh, the, the, the um, suffering is not be always because of sin. Sometimes God allows suffering even if sin is not a part of it. Those are, I think, kind of main the main themes here. Um, so he states firmly that wisdom and understanding come from God. He quotes God as saying, quote, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. Job reflects on his past, suggesting that his righteousness was evident to all. Quote, I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy. To the needy. And he was honored and considered an authority at that time. But now those younger than I mock me. Job is in a humbled place because the, quote, days of affliction have seized me. Job maintains his integrity, however, claiming that he still seeks and obeys. But this has not led to blessing for him, and he demands to hear any charge God might have against him, but believes there are none. Uh, let's read this. Chapter 31. Can I get a volunteer to read verses 1 through 8 of chapter 31? 
Yeah. Chapter 31. I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. For what is man's lot from God above, his heritage from the Almighty on high? It is not ruin for the wicked, for the wicked disaster for those who do wrong. Does he not see my ways and count my every step? If I have walked in falsehood, or my foot has hurried after deceit, let God weigh me in honest scales, and he will know that I am blameless. My steps have turned from the path, my heart has been led by my eyes, for if my hands have been defiled, then may others eat what I have sown, and may my crops be uprooted. Is that it? You want to go all the way to... Uh, no, that's fine. Your aid is fine. So I, I think, again, the point here is he's, he deserves punishment if he has sinned, but in this particular instance, he has not. He's been obedient. That's the theme here. That's, that's one of the major, major themes here. The author is intent on showing the reader that obedience will not always lead to earthly blessing. Sometimes trials and struggles come when no error has been made. So obviously this is uh, something we can apply to our lives pretty directly. I think Job's life shows that trouble is not always the result of, of disobedience. Sometimes God allows things to happen in our lives for other reasons. We should not make the mistake of thinking that earthly blessing will always come when we live for God. Uh, so open it up. Do you sometimes see God's tests as discipline for your sin or vice versa? What does Job teach us about our struggles? Are they always the result of sin? Sometimes they are, right? I'm not, I'm not trying to suggest that there isn't godly discipline. Hebrews 12 says there is. Sometimes it's just a natural consequence to your sin that God allows to happen in your life. Um, another discipline, of course, is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Um, so I'm not saying that there's not punishment for your sin, but I think one of the main points of Job is sometimes bad things happen that's not necessarily the consequence of sin. It's just something that God is allowing. Uh, James chapter 1, for instance, is a New Testament example of that. So uh, just opening this up, uh, any, any thoughts here? Any of these questions? Yeah. I, think, I think you can get a long way in terms of making sense of the discussion that goes on mm -hmm. that we're in the middle of uh, here in Job. By, by just saying, okay, these guys, they didn't have a Bible. They were so far back. And so they don't have a perfect theology. Right. And particularly here, the theology is that if we do good, then God owes us a blessing. And if we don't do good, if, we're, if we act evil in evil, then he's going to strike us with a lightning bolt or, or something. Yep. And it, that's just the way it is. And so Job believes that he hasn't done anything wrong. And so he's, what gives? Because uh, you, you, you blessed me all this time. You owed yep. that to me. Yep. I earned it. And his three friends are then concluding that, oh, you must have done something wrong. Right. And yep. there you are. Yeah, you're right. There they do not have the benefit of being on the other side of scripture, right? The revelation of God from this story that we have. Um, now that makes it, in my mind, so much more troubling that you have people like Joel Osteen mm -hmm. and this, you know, name it, claim it theology that is, I mean, 
this at all? Do they ever read Job? That's a, I was just a, to me, this is um, more than any book directly addresses the the how false that theology is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I grew up in a Baptist church, and it was I feel like we spent so much more time in the Old Testament than the New, and you know our pastor would read like Jonathan Edwards, "Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God," like from the pulpit, and. I think for me it took a really long time to get out of the mindset of, like even as a kid I remember I lied the week before my grandmother died and I believed for years that I led to my grandmother's death. <laughs> and like having to, <laughs> just understanding how Christ came and fulfilled the law and fulfilled that covenant and the grace and the freedom that you have in that, not freedom to sin but the freedom of not having the burden of you know, did I cause this with my wickedness when we are wicked people who are going to be wicked, unfortunately, until Christ comes? Um, but just that's such a beautiful thing. And coming from a, a place where that was my foundation, is it, it makes the gospel so much more beautiful. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's great. Well, also, what was the last point? <laughs> it says that... No error. Uh, no error. No error. Sometimes try Trials and struggles come into where it's been made. Any other thoughts here before we finish up? You think you yeah. could, the last one, are they always a result of sin? I guess you could say yes. I mean, uh, sin in watch. general. Yeah, yeah. yeah. all the way back to Adam and Eve. Yeah. Says, well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the reason the world is broken. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. And there's, you know, you can be doing everything great, but somebody else's sin slams into you, and yeah. you just yeah. go, well, that's just, you know, yeah. it's just the. While I don't see it as a specific sin, I mean, God tested me, you know, bring all those struggles. But now, in, in, in my walk with the Lord, I see it as, as a, really an opportunity to trust Him more. Yeah. And another thing is, like, while I, I believe that He allows my struggles to, to for me to, to go through them, but I also know that there is an end to it. Mm -hmm. uh, while I can go through a series of struggles, but at the end of the day, it will end. He yeah. just allows it. That's great. That's and great. The message today is to reflect him more. Yep. Yep. It's all about reflecting like your glory, God. God. Yeah. Glory, yeah. That's right. Okay. Uh, let's finish up real quick here. Uh, Thirty-two. Uh, the friends and Job are at an impasse, and Elihu. This is a new character arriving on the scene here. Elihu, a younger fourth friend, rebukes Job one more time. He claims to speak for God, making four claims. The first is that the suffering Job has endured may be disciplined to pervert, or sorry, pervert, <laughs> to prevent Job from something worse. He defends God with the second claim, that Job has no authority to challenge God. The third claim is that God is just, and, quote, he pays a man according to his work. The Almighty will not pervert justice. Job's questioning, that's the blank there, questioning of this justice is how he multiplies words without knowledge. Uh, Elihu's fourth claim is that Job should listen to and meditate on God. For he says, who is a teacher like him? He appeals to the wonders of God saying the one who has created the earth and controls the weather is the one who wisdom comes from. Is because of these wonderful things that men fear him. Um, so Elihu is clearly closer to the truth than the other three friends. There's some good theology here. 
Um, he rightly points out that God is just, regardless of what Job thinks. Um, that's 34.17 there. Um, so this actually sets up this next section, starting in chapter 38. It sets up God, right? God is God's speaking next. And you can think of Elihu as almost like a, um, you know, at a convention, the speaker right before the, you know, the keynote. Um, so here comes God. God speaks up, dissecting Job's views and showing him his ignorance. Just like in the Pentateuch and the prophets, Job re or God responds to those who suffer. He begins by presenting himself as the creator of all, the one who holds the sea, and the one who understands all the secrets of the earth. He rhetorically asks Job if he, if Job, has done any of these things, or if he has ordered the world the way God has. You can almost see him like, uh -oh. in the beginning, Job created that. <laughs> um, he asks him if he knows the ways of all the creatures of the earth, the way that God does. Do you give the horse his might? Is it by your understanding that the hawk soars? Job sees his error in challenging God and his authority saying, quote, Behold, I am insignificant. What can I reply to you? I lay my hand on my mouth. God questions uh, who Job is to question him. His power and strength are evident in the creatures of the earth. The challenge put before Job is whether he will trust trust the God who has all the power or if he will put himself before God by questioning him. So ultimately, Job can't plead innocence. He might have lived a righteous life, but in the presence of God, he realizes that this is exactly what he's supposed to do. Um, he's supposed to live this way, right? Uh, so he really should not be questioning him. Uh, Job chooses to place his trust in God, confessing him and saying, quote, I will ask you and you will instruct me. Uh, I would, we don't have time. I would encourage you to read 42, 2 through 6 again or on your own. Again, it's this theme of the book, true wisdom comes from, from God. True wisdom from God is its own reward. It comes from complete submission to God regardless of the blessing or suffering that, that you receive. Uh, Job rebukes, or God rebukes, sorry, God rebukes Job's friends, saying they've misrepresented him, but that Job has spoken correctly about him. God gives Job a new family and new possessions, and he lives a long, abundant life. He has heard the cry of the weak and intervened, this is consistent with the psalmist's claims about God in Psalm 18, 22, and 40. So uh, significance, possible significance for us. Uh, Job's response is a great challenge. We must be willing to accept God and his ways even when we do not understand him. To challenge and question him is to put ourselves above him and deny his authority in our lives. That, 
Last little interchange with God. It's just very instructive. Just a great kind of who are we in comparison to God. Really, really, um, you want to see some, uh, you know, characteristics of God um, really come forward. Omnipresence, omnipotence, all of these things. Um, the creator God, a lot of these characteristics you can really see in this interchange here. Um, so don't have time to open it up here, but just questions to think about as you go. Do you ever find yourself doubting God's ways? Why do we insist on thinking we know more about our lives than God does? Should our earthly blessing be the motivator for seeking God and his wisdom, or should we do this in all times and all circumstances? Um, so there is some stuff here about wisdom literature. We'll talk about this next week. Um, there's just a couple highlights. Um, we see this in Eastern, Near Eastern wisdom <coughs> tradition. There's there's this type of document. So I would, Solomon and these authors didn't create this, but they're using it to their advantage. This Holy Spirit inspires them, right? Um, we see some different things. We're obviously going to see something different with Proverbs versus this story about Job, right? But um, a lot of this has to do with the same thing, right? True wisdom comes from God. The wisdom of God is, is its own reward. These are kind of some of the main themes we saw today. We'll kind of continue to see these things as we go along. So hopefully we'll, we'll put it up on the board again if somebody erases it. But we'll talk about it next week some more. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Proverbs next week. Yay.